Let's talk about this book. It's called Digital Liturgies. It's by Samuel D. James. The subtitle is Rediscovering Christian Wisdom in an Online Age. I just read this and I wanted to share some of my thoughts with you, do a bit of a book review. So it won't surprise you to hear that we are more online than we've ever been before. 85% of Americans say that they are online every day, and about a third of people in the U.S. say that they are, quote, constantly online. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about even your own life. I'm guessing you may go to work and work on a computer for eight hours a day. Before that, you probably scroll your phone in the morning. When you take breaks, you look at social media. When you come home in the evening, you fire up some internet-enabled entertainment thing like Netflix, and we're just constantly online. And this has sort of crept up on us. You know, I'm somebody who grew up uh, without devices, without the internet, and it kind of grew up with me. And it's a little bit of surprise when you take a step back and think about, hey, I'm actually never not on the internet. And the question is, what is that doing to us? And of course, there's a lot of research going on right now that's talking about the harmful effects of social media on mental health, on all these different things. But what's interesting about this book is his focus is more on what is this doing to our souls. So let me just share a few things that I really found interesting that I thought were unique insights to this book uh, that I think you might find helpful too. And then I'll share a few things that'll go beyond those individual insights and maybe into some more application stuff of how we might take what Samuel James has presented to us and apply it a bit more practically. So the first question you might have if you pick up this book is, what on earth is a liturgy? I feel like the title is a little bit unfortunate, Digital Liturgies, because even a lot of Christians don't know what the word liturgy means. It's like how you might order a worship service at a church, and it's the shape of it, and it's designed so that it shapes you. So how you order the music, the reading of the word, it involves the ordinances, you know, baptism, communion, all of that stuff, and it's designed in such a way that it would shape your soul. And what Samuel D. James is arguing in this book is that the internet also has a shape and it also preaches to us and speaks to us in a way that shapes our soul. And if we're not aware of this soul-shaping power of the internet, it's going to change us in ways we don't expect. Here's a quote from the book that kind of makes up his thesis. He says, rather than thinking of the web and social media as merely neutral tools that merely do whatever users ask of them, it's better to think of them as kinds of spaces that are continually shaping us to think, feel, communicate, and live in certain ways. In other words, the social internet is a liturgical environment. And so the question he sets out to answer is, how do Christians live wisely in the midst of this internet age where we are connected and where this thing is exerting an influence on us. What does that look like? The first big takeaway you'll get from this book is that Christians need to look not just at the content, but the medium itself. And now if you know Marshall McLuhan, that famous, the medium is the message. I mean, a lot of people trot this out and say, look, it's, it's not just the content of television, it's the medium itself. That's what Marshall McLuhan was criticizing. But James actually goes way beyond that. Um, he's not just saying the medium is the message. He's saying the medium actually changes you on the inside more than just your thinking. It's actually affecting your soul. Here's another quote. He says, rather than being a neutral tool, the internet, particularly the social internet, is an epistemological environment, a spiritual and intellectual habitat that creates in its members particular ways of thinking, feeling, and believing. 
And I think this is really obvious when you look at different platforms because each sort of social platform has their own ethos to it. And you can see how it shapes people. People who spend a lot of time on Twitter tend to be more angry. And I think that Twitter is actually shaping them that way. People who spend a lot of time on Instagram might struggle more with envy or discontentness, right? Because there's these images of, I wish I had that life. It's not just about the content. The next big idea we've kind of touched on a little bit, but that's just that the internet is shaping you spiritually. And this sounds kind of woo-woo at first, but then when you think about it, that's what we're doing at church, right? I go and hear the word preached. I go and uh, hear it proclaimed back to me in song. I sing it. I'm encouraged with fellowship. I am being shaped. I'm being formed. I am being preached to. Well, the internet is preaching to us too. It is telling us certain values. It's telling us certain beliefs, and it's inculcating those in us over and over and over again. And to say that we're immune from that, I think is a little bit of naivete on our part, and that's what James is arguing too. Of course it's changing you. It's influencing you spiritually. He says, even our most allegedly non-religious spaces are deeply spiritual. They tell us a story about the good life, what it is, and how we can get it. These spiritual habitats train our hearts and make certain ideas and behaviors more desirable, and others less so, by immersing us in a particular narrative. The simple fact is habits change us. We know that they change us. If you go back in my video archives and you look at the interview I did maybe a year or two ago with Greg Gifford, who talks about heart and habits and how those feed into each other and how you know God has sort of designed us to be habitual creatures and that those habits reinforce our beliefs. They, they change us. And so what you continually expose yourself to or even the environment you continually expose yourself to is changing you. You're, you're being conformed to those things as you repeat them. And I think the big question we all have to ask ourselves are, are the digital habits I'm exercising making me a better or a worse Christian? Are they helping me to better serve the Lord and my fellow believer? Are they helping me to better glorify God? Or is it actually hindering me in that thing? And that's a big important question that needs to be asked. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's usually more on the negative side. Another big idea James presents that I think is really helpful is that wisdom is obscured by the digital world. The internet is a reality distortion field. It, it, it's telling us this is the way the world is, but when you pull yourself away from the computer for a little while, you're like, ah, oh, that's not really how it is. People aren't really upset about that big thing. It's just the online world. It's its own thing, and it reshapes how we view the world. James says, to live wisely is to live with the grain of the truth that a real God has revealed to us but our computer-generated experience of life affects how well we can see and perceive and thus how well we can live according to that truth. It's twisting how we view reality, and since wisdom is us living in line with reality, it's going to twist our wisdom. It's going to make us foolish in some ways. It's little wonder when you think about it that people who are struggling with sexual confusion or even sometimes uh, mental issues, things like that, a lot of times those people are heavily, heavily online. There's actually done studies on this and there is a negative correlation between spending lots of time online and your mental health and sort of deviant behavior. And so I think some of that is sort of evidence that proves James's case. It is changing us. The last big takeaway I want to share with you was sort of a minor point that James made, but I thought it was so interesting I wanted to share it. And that's that the internet is a deficient discipleship tool. 
Now, as somebody who does online ministry, I mean, one of my first jobs out of college was doing social media ministry for an international missions organization. I did internet ministry for a really huge ministry uh, previous to doing this. Like, that's sort of been baked into my DNA that, of course, the internet is a huge opportunity for believers to reach the lost and to disciple people. But one of the things James points out is because the internet is disembodied, we might say, it actually is missing out on a whole half of discipleship because it's not just information that we disciple people with. It is uh, actions that can be imitated, right? You know, Paul tells Timothy to guard his life and his doctrine. Both of those are needed aspects of discipleship. And Christians that are pretty gung-ho about using the internet to, to reach a lost or disciple people, I mean, we just have to recognize Yes, it may be a useful tool for conveying information, scriptures, gospel, sound teaching, etc., but it will never fulfill the whole call of discipleship, which requires us to be face-to-face with people. You even see this, of course, in Paul's epistles where he says, you know, I'm writing to you, but I long to be face-to-face with you. It's fundamentally better, and it's an aspect that is necessary for discipleship. I thought this was striking because I've noticed this phenomenon over the last... I don't know, 10 years or so of young men, especially who have been discipled online. They follow somebody's ministry and they become really pugnacious. They, they want to fight all the time. They might have a lot of head doctrine, but they haven't been actually living day to day and seeing the life of a follower of Christ up close, a mature follower of Christ. And so instead they've got all these ideas and they think that maturity means fighting with people about theology where theology is important, but the, the problem is they're just getting half of it. And this is why even in Deuteronomy, when it talks about raising your children, Deuteronomy 6, it says, you know, teach them these things as you walk in the way, as you lie down, as you uh, do this and this. It, it's, it's something that's done together as you go through life. And the internet cannot imitate that. It's a deficient discipleship tool. And I think James made a great point of that. So those are just a few of the highlights, things I think you'll enjoy from the book. Those are big takeaways from me. I do highly recommend this book, but I will say there was a couple of things here that frustrated me, and that was really mainly that I feel like the book ended too soon. Because as I was reading this book, I just kept expecting his really good arguments to sort of crescendo into a really potent caution or maybe some instructions about, hey, we're, we're online too much. Maybe use your phone less, even anything. But he keeps stopping short of that. And he almost seems like he's reeling himself back in at times with a hesitancy to share anything beyond, hey, just be aware of this stuff, guys. But there was a couple times while I was reading it where I almost threw the book across the room because I was like, come on, man, just say the thing. Say, get off your phone. Say, get off social media. Just say it. Uh, because I think that if you read this book, you're going to be like, hey, I maybe I should be using this stuff less or maybe not at all. I really think that that is the logical conclusion of it. And uh, he doesn't seem like he wants to go there. And like, for example, he says, what we choose to see as our reality changes us in that reality's image. The spiritual and intellectual haze we feel is the feeling of thinking, feeling, and believing more like our technologies. We are becoming what we worship and what we are worshiping has a mind of its own. And maybe he's using hyperbole, but if you're saying that we're actually committing idolatry with our devices, it seems that the conclusion should be, I need to put, a, put that away, at least for a time. You know, in the Old Testament, people who are committing idolatry, even if we recognize that idolatry is a heart matter, they still 
got rid of the idols. And I think maybe iconoclasm needs to come for the iPhone. Maybe there should be some smashing going on here if we really want to be free of this. If, if the problem is as serious as he's saying, I think our action needs to be equally serious and maybe even a little bit dramatic to help cut us off from this. He even says, when it comes to the web and the Christian life, the question, so what do I do now, is especially tricky. Why? Because there's no straight line from Christian wisdom to rejection of technology. But I say, I get that he's saying, like, you can't reject all technology. I mean, you're still going to use a shovel. You're still going to use the phone, things like that. Um, I'm not arguing that. I don't think anyone's arguing that, except maybe the Amish. But there does seem to be a straight line between if this thing is causing you to commit idolatry, or if this thing is a major temptation to envy, like Instagram, or a major temptation for you to express unrighteous anger, like Twitter is for a lot of us, get off of it. Like why, like why not just say, I'm not gonna use that. I understand there are potential benefits, but for me, that's not worth it. And he sort of tries to check this conclusion, at least a little bit. He says, even if it were possible to order one's life in the 21st century to eschew all forms of the internet and digital communication, the end result would mostly just be to cut us off from other people, the majority of whom would continue to live, work, think, and consume online with no sense of how their hearts and minds might be changing for the worse. It sounds almost like he's appealing for us to be digital missionaries or something and be like, hey, online world's changing us. It's probably pretty bad for us, but I have to stay on there so I can warn people about how bad it is for us. That's just not compelling to me. Um, the, the most compelling thing, at least for me in my own sort of journey to being less online than I was before, uh, was the people who never use social media or don't use it that much. I'd looked at their lives, I'm like, they're more content. They seem to be following the Lord more seriously. They seem less distracted by silly stuff. Uh, they seem more present with their families. Like their testimony was in the fact they didn't do it, not that they're going on there and saying, guys, this is really bad. He goes on to say, even if you could throw away all your computers and smartphones, delete all your social media accounts, and go back to physical CDs and newspapers, your heart would still tilt away from the wisdom of Christ. Sin is holistic and fundamental, which means we can't be rid of it by taking away, by taking any external actions. Yeah, I agree with that, but the Bible does instruct us to flee temptation. So I do think that if your digital device is causing you to commit heart sins or, or, or idolatry, you've you got to take serious action against that. Um, and you're not saying that it's going to change your heart, but you're saying, I'm not going to go in the way of where the prostitute is, you know, like um, in Proverbs it talks about. I'm going to avoid that way because I don't want to be tempted. And if a certain social media site, uh, like Instagram, for example, that tempts you to be envious, covetous, all this stuff, be discontent with the life the Lord's given you, it's, it's, I think it's pietism to say, well, I'm just going to stay on there because what really needs to happen is I need to change my heart. No, get off of there. Then let your heart change. Like, you don't need to be on there. There's, there's very few positive benefits that could possibly weigh in the same proportion as the negative things when sin is concerned. And so don't try to have it both ways. Just be like, take a break from it or put it away entirely. I do not feel shy at all about recommending that. Obviously, I'm not, we're not trying to be legalistic here. We're not trying to make rules for everyone. But if you have a problem, you notice the way that certain aspects of the internet are changing your heart, take a stand. Do something about it. Don't just say, oh, well, I'm aware of the dangers now. <laughs> All that does is increase your culpability for it. So final thoughts. Um, 
I recommend, Digital Liturgies by Samuel D. James. It's a really great read. It will help you think more critically about your relationship with the internet, how it's changing you. And I don't think we should be afraid to take some of the ideas that James so well puts together in here and take them a little bit further to their logical conclusion and actually make some significant changes so that we can live more effectively for God's glory, be more productive in the use of our time, and be more present in our relationships. Because we've got one life to live and we want to be faithful with it. And there are tools that can help you on the computer, but if there's stuff that's not, cut it out, get out of your life, and uh, try to live a bit more intentionally. Uh, good book, recommend it. That's my review. See you in the next one.